right. So old covenant, new covenant. Are we even in a covenant now in the year 2022? Um, this revelation, getting a revelation of the new covenant and of the grace of God absolutely revolutionized uh, my life and my wife's life in 2010. We primarily received a revelation of the new covenant and of grace, meaning that you're not under the law, you're under grace. You're not under the Mosaic old covenant that we find, you know, in uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Um, You're under the new covenant that Jesus ratified at the cross and in this new covenant, you know, the Gentiles are grafted in, and um, it's because of what Jesus did and not what you did. And under the old covenant, when you acted right, you got blessed. When you acted wrong, you got cursed. And then in the new covenant, um, Jesus acted right, so you get to be blessed, is essentially what it is. And when you grow up in denominational evangelical Christianity, and you're taught from the whole Bible— um, which you can definitely teach from the whole Bible, but you just have to have a few key things in place, I feel like, in order to not cause confusion and to and to cause harm. And usually our preachers, when they were kids, were taught from the whole Bible by their preacher, and then maybe they went to seminary, and that approach was confirmed in seminary. And this approach goes something like this. The, the entire Bible, the 66 books, it is perfect. It fell from the throne room of God, and it is inerrant. It is without error. It is infallible. Um, it is unquestionable. It is unmistakably all, every word, perfectly translated and is the word of God. It is as if God is talking to you. And if you just open this thing uh, with thousands of pages and 66 different letters, then and you teach from it, it is going to be a blessing. It is going to be powerful. It's going to be the Word of God. And you can't go wrong. So, you know, one week you're taught out of Matthew, and then the next week there's a text from Leviticus, uh, and then the next week it's out of John. And so what happens is you get a mixture of teaching from all over the Bible. And the issue is there are two main covenants in the Bible that are really different. (laughs) So what happens is you end up a little bit confused, and you may not even know you're confused. Um, And especially the passages, you know, from Leviticus or Deuteronomy, or um, that passages that teaching that the listener walks away believing, okay, if I do these things, then I'm good with God. And if I don't do them or if I do bad things, I am not good with God. This is where the problem enters because Jesus said it like this. He said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you remember in Matthew chapter 16, the disciples famously forget the bread and they begin arguing and blaming each other for who forgot the bread and talking about how upset Jesus is going to be, which is a window into how they perceived God. Um, it shows us that they, like many of us, when we were under this type of teaching, where you were mixing covenants, the preachers were and the teachers were to the people, um, the disciples saw Jesus still as this behavior-obsessed taskmaster who was going to only be happy if you behave perfectly. And Jesus hears them murmuring, and 
And he says, guys, you, you think I'm literally talking about bread. He said, we're getting ready to go deal with these super fundamentalist religious Pharisees. When I'm talking about the bread, I'm talking about their teaching. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So in other words, a little bit of that legalistic do good, get good, do bad, get bad, um, act right, get blessed, act wrong, get cursed, a little bit of that teaching will leaven your whole revelation of God. So even if there were some messages full of love and peace and joy, if at the end there's a thing there's a little bit thrown in about how now this week, make sure you do this, this, and this, you know, to receive your blessing or, you know, a lot of it came from giving. You know, if if you don't give, God's gonna put a curse on you. That leavens your whole thinking, and then you begin to believe God only blesses you when you act right. And so it's not your fault. It's not my fault. Um, Placing blame is not productive. But once we're aware of it, we can then act. We have a choice. So Jesus comes with this new covenant. And, And the Mosaic covenant was a massive improvement from living in Egypt, which, uh, you know, we've covered on this podcast many, many times. But when we look at the Mosaic Covenant, we generally see bondage. Um, And then Jesus brought liberation and freedom from that bondage. That was the Old Covenant. So we're being taught, when we were taught from this whole Bible, um, you know, we're we're being led back into Egypt, uh, metaphorically speaking, unknowingly usually by these preachers and teachers. And so Andrew and Joseph changed millions of lives and are still doing it. They still have huge ministries. And I was at Andrew's school for three years with my wife, and I did the worship school or the music school the third year. I played on every worship album they released, every single guitar track I played. I think we did three, maybe two, um, definitely two, maybe three. I really can't remember. And I played worship... Uh, I would say 15 to 20 hours a week for three years there. Um, Out of the love of my heart for the life change that that Andrew had provided me. And so what you learn from Andrew and Joseph is that you're not under the old covenant, you're under the new covenant. Now this is a life-changing revelation if you essentially believed you were under the old covenant because you had come to those conclusions, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and you've been in church for years, and you've heard mixed messages from all over the Bible. Some are saying God is unconditionally loving, and some is saying if you act better, God will love you more or bless you more. And what happens is that just a little bit of God will love you more if you act better will leaven all your thinking. And it will result in you thinking, honestly, like a slave. You know, master blesses me when I do a good job. So this is certainly not the arrangement that Abba wants. So looking back on this time at Andrew's ministry, um, I just want to share a quick personal story about this. So I had been there for, man, three years and and four or five months, and uh, I had a brand new baby boy, and I was not making any money. Um, These were all volunteer hours at the Bible College, playing guitar 
and playing on the albums. You know, if I had been in like a Nashville or an Austin session musician, you know, I would have made really good money playing on those albums, but I never even asked for anything because I, you know, my life had been changed there. So you want to give back. It's one of the things that happens if a certain teacher uh, or preacher brings a life-changing revelation to you that causes observable improvement in your quality of life, you begin to develop a loyalty to them. And that's not necessarily bad until it becomes blind loyalty and you believe everything they say without question. We see this happen in politics with politicians. People will get behind a politician and then this guy or girl can do no wrong um, you you tend to not be able you tend to have blind spots for these people's imperfections because they changed your life and you're really behind them. And I was had you know I was there for three years and four or five months had a brand new baby boy was not making any money and the degree from Karis Bible College is unaccredited so um, no churches will hire you. I w- I don't want to say no churches will hire you. But if you're looking to get a church job after Karis, I personally applied to over 200 churches in 2013 and 2014 and got one interview, and it was with a church down in Miami. And I remember this interview, and I remember I messed it up uh, because he asked, you know, what music I was into, and I started naming these progressive metal bands, <laughs> like Dream Theater and Periphery and Mashuga and telling him how much I liked the guitar work and the odd time signatures. and um, But then I'm like, but I also love worship. But I think he could hear my heart. Um, even though I did love worship music at the time. I mean, I'm a prog head and a metal head at heart. And um, so I didn't get that job. And then Karis lists this job. And it's an audio and a video position. And I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect for me. I'll get to work with the sound crew I've been working with for you know, two and a half, three years, and the video guys I've been working with for three years, and this is my area of skill, not necessarily video at the time, but audio for sure, and this is great, you know, so I go online, and I, um, and keep in mind, like, everybody knows me there, I mean, I had been there for almost three and a half years, and played guitar on almost every worship set the whole time, so um, everybody knew me, and I thought, okay, my life has been changed here, I'm going to work here for the foreseeable future. This is where I need to be. I still have lots of friends from my graduating class in 2012 that still work there. And that's great. Personally, for me, it doesn't work to stay at the same place for that long in terms of like understanding and revelation. I like to keep going and keep digging and keep increasing in consciousness. But I also have learned not to impose that on other people. So... Still have lots of friends there. My life was changed there. So I go in for this interview, and it's with a guy. I will not say his name, but he had only been at the school for maybe 10 months, maybe 12 months. And um, he had gotten a position, you know, on staff, and he was in a hiring and firing type position. And he happened to be the guy hiring for this video audio job that I thought for sure I'm going to get because everybody knows Jake. I mean, I'm always in the audio and video realm, and... Um, I'm always on stage playing guitar and leading worship. I traveled with Andrew in the summer of 2013 as a prayer minister and worship leader. So Andrew knew me. Um, 
you know, and I just want to say I once sat in an airport and talked to him for about 45 minutes, and he was the most genuine uh, guy. I mean, he is the real deal. He he has his theological views that he's not going to move off of, probably till the day he dies, but he is a very, very genuine man. Even though he has this mega ministry, he is a great guy. So we would, as prayer ministers, we would get there maybe 90 minutes before the service started, and there'd be hundreds of people waiting for prayer. And I mean, you're praying for people for lumps in their breasts, for other forms of cancer, for uh, deaf ears, blind eyes to be open, and we actually saw that happen. So um, it was powerful. And, you know, some people just wanted encouragement, whatever. But I was totally bought in at this time, guys, completely bought in and never thinking, you know, at this point I wasn't yet thinking, you know, when are they going to pay me? Like, now I've got a little boy. I can't be, you know, driving 45 minutes to the school, playing an hour-long worship set, and then 45 minutes back and not getting any money and spending the gas to get up there when I'm also not making any money because I don't have a job apart from this place or at this place. And Michelle and I were starting to get really stressed. I had applied to 200 churches, and because my Karis degree was unaccredited, no one would even give me an interview. The only way to like have a position is to work at Karis or to go open a Karis Bible college somewhere in the world. Is basically just to multiply the Karis model. And... Uh, and you know that going in, they say this is an unaccredited degree. This is all about Bible teaching. So we don't want to bring in math and science and, you know, civil liberties and all these classes that you have to teach in order to receive accreditation from the state. So we knew that going in, but then the way it played out when I really needed a church job, it was not, was not good. So I go in for this interview, and at the end of the interview which I think is going pretty well, and, and this man knew me. Um, he says, Jake, the reason I have to not give you this job is because, you know what, we've all discussed it, and you just haven't been faithful enough, and we need to hire somebody faithful. And I, I literally was in disbelief. I could not process what he had just said to me. And honestly, I was super pissed because I had been volunteering 15 to 20 hours a week every week for three years, playing on worship albums and never asking to be paid. Um, you know, and I just thought, this guy must not see musicians and artistic gifts as legitimate people, which is very common. Uh, musicians and artists, you know, a song... Or, or a painting, people see it the same way they see a takeout order, that it just magically appears. As if someone didn't cook it, you know, arrange it in the container, stack the containers in a way they wouldn't spill, you know, get get your, your silverware and your plates and your napkins in there, uh, maybe even some wet wipes if it's, you know, a wing place. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then they, they hand it to you and you just pay for it and leave. And a lot of people don't even think to leave a tip to the takeout person. And, you know, songs are, are like that. When you hear a song, you know, there's been someone working on that and, uh, you know, deliberating over the final lyrics and the melody and changing the chords under the melody to, to um, alter how it impacts uh, the, the listener and all these things. And then you have this complete song. 
And it's the same thing with worship musicians. Uh, it's very seldom understood that there are hours of, t- of time at home learning songs, uh, even money spent like sometimes having to download the songs or purchase them so you can listen to them. Um, and then, you know, and then learning how to play in different keys and learning time signatures and, you know, uh, complex chords and all these things, especially when you start going back in worship before maybe 2006, 2007, when um, Jesus culture started to get big and then the, the this huge newer worship movement started where the songs are all basically diatonic, meaning the, the chords are all within the key of the song. And so it at this point has all kind of started to sound the same. And I think that's just my little aside about worship, current worship music. But I think that it's going to start to get more interesting in the near future. So where was I? So they don't. OK, so the end of that. So he's like, let me walk you to my car. So I, I'm keeping my mouth shut the whole way to the front door. And then when we get to the front door, I'm like and I say this man's name, which I'm not going to say on the podcast. And I say, we'll say his name is Rodney. It's not Rodney. But I say, hey, Rodney, I don't know if you know, but you've only been here for 10 months. But I've been here for three and a half years. And I've played guitar for 15 to 20 hours a week, every week, for three and a half years. I've played every track on the worship albums we've released and never once in any of those weeks in three and a half years asked for any money. I, I get up early. Our, the worship is at 8 a.m. It's a 45-minute drive to school. I'm getting up at 6.15. I'm taking a shower. I'm drinking coffee. I'm leaving my wife and brand-new baby boy to come up here and play worship for free, um, which, again, I'm okay with because Andrew changed my life here. And I said, so for you to tell me the reason I'm not getting the job is because I haven't been faithful is extremely insulting. And I said, I wish you could have uh, asked around more about who I am and what type of guy I am before you told me that, because it's really messed up. And I got in my car. That was the first time I thought. I actually panicked, and I thought, what am I going to do if I'm not going to work at Andrew Womack Ministries or Karis Bible College? Because that had been the plan the whole time. I couldn't see around the corner. So... A little bit after that is a conference, and and I decide, you know what, this is probably going to be the last conference I'm going to play. I'm still frantically online searching for church jobs and not getting them, not getting interviews, still have a baby boy, still not making money. All those real-life things are happening in my life. And I play this conference, and in the elevator, this was a conference that, and I will say these people's names because this really... It caused me to cry on the spot. It was Charlie and Jill LeBlanc, um, and they do the worship still for Andrew at his conferences and big events and stuff. And we're in the elevator after the last day of this conference, and he hands me a check, and he says, thanks for this week, Jake. And I'm like, what? And he goes, thank you so much. We want to honor your your time you spent learning the songs and being ready and professional and being ready on, you know, day one of rehearsal, you were ready to go. And we just want to honor you financially. Um, you know, we know you have a baby boy and they they had met my wife, Michelle. And, you know, and I just start weeping 
dude, we're we're in the elevator and I'm weeping. And Charlie and Jill go, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing's wrong. I just can't believe you paid me. And and he said, what, you've never been paid for for guitar? And I said, no, never. And he was just blown away. So again, I was never upset about that. But when it happened, um, it was mind-blowing. Uh, I couldn't believe it, and I felt so valued. You know, immediately call my wife, and oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and that actually gave me the boldness. Um, no, I don't want to get off on that. So, next thing that happens, I get off the elevator. This is really how this happened. I get off the elevator. I'm still tearing up, and I'm just headed to my car. My guitar's in my hand in the case. And uh, at that time, I used like a, a Line 6 pod because it could it could plug directly into the sound system, and I didn't have to lug around a 60-pound tube amp and all this stuff. So, And I remember I downloaded, there's a Christian artist named Lincoln Brewster. You've probably heard of him you were able to download his exact guitar tone, which is amazing, right into your pod from his website. So I had done that, so my guitar tone was incredible. So I'm walking to the car, and then a friend of mine named Kaysen stops me, and he says, hey, Jake, I've and I've known Kaysen the entire, he had been there a year before I got to Karis. And at this time, he was already a worship pastor at one of the professors at Karis's church. Kaysen is one of the best guys ever. And he stops me and he said, man, I've had this word for you for months and months and months, but I just haven't given it to you. Um, you know, it just hasn't worked out or whatever. I forgot. And he said, but I want to tell you that I really feel like God told me to tell you that that Karis is a launching pad for you, not a ceiling. To see it as a launching pad, as the beginning, not the not the destination and to prepare for rapid acceleration. And I couldn't believe what he said to me. Um, and, I, and I remember I, on the drive back, when we first got to Karis, Andrew said that the vision God gave him was that the school would be a place that the ceiling of the professors could become the floor of the students, which is really another way of saying it's a launching pad. And then I was like still in this place where I needed to trust because I wasn't getting any church jobs and I had a brand new baby boy. So we ended up moving to Kentucky in February of 2014. And then my in-laws approached me about starting a new covenant church, a grace church. Um, and I, at this point I was selling furniture, making like $650 every two weeks. And Michelle and I didn't have any debt. And we um, and we breastfed. She breastfed. So even though we had a child, it really wasn't that expensive. I feel like that's a big lie people tell you. Um, and we were blessed. People people gave us lots of clothes and uh, diapers. So you know we made it on thirteen hundred dollars a month because we didn't have all these debt payments and stuff. And we were and I'm very thankful for that season because we learned how to live on thirteen hundred dollars a month. Um, and I'm also thankful for not being in debt. I have my father-in-law to thank me to thank and my wife for that. Um, because in the first year of marriage, uh, they, I will say they helped me get out of debt. Um, and it was life changing. So 
enough personal stories. So we start this New Covenant Church. So now I want to get back to Old Covenant, New Covenant. I promise it's all relevant. So what you what happens when you get a New Covenant revelation is prerequ- prerequisite for you to believe you've shifted into the New Covenant is for you to believe you were under the Old Covenant because that's what allows your mind to believe it has been told it was under the wrong covenant all those years and that then God in his faithfulness sends this teacher or that teacher to bring this revelation to you whether you catch him on TV or the radio or whatever, probably not the radio in 2022, podcasts, YouTube. And and then they tell you, no, you're under the new covenant. The new covenant for 2,000 years, nobody's been under the old covenant. And you're under the new covenant. And so you you believe you've had this transition. And under the new covenant, there's so much more security. You're righteous because Jesus paid it all. Jesus finished it. Um, you know, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you get to be free. You know, all, all of these teachings. But you still believe you're in a covenant. This is what this message is about. This message is about how none of us have ever been under a covenant. But, we, but that was where our understanding was. So God came into that understanding and that perception because he doesn't come into the truth about you. He comes into your perception of what's true about you. And that's where, because that's where your language is going to be spoken. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, all of them, you know, they speak to you where you are because it's a loving family. You know, I have an eight, a seven, and a five-year-old, and I have to speak to them each differently because their, their, uh, their cognition each of their cognitions are at different places. So there's a slight difference in how I talk to each one of them or how I, or how, let me say it this way, how I connect, how I come into their world. Um, even if you think about their interests, you know, my son Harmon loves, uh, he loves Minecraft, he loves building things, which is why he loves Minecraft. Um, he loves Legos, he loves to draw, he loves the trampoline. So if I want to come into his world and connect with him, it's actually really easy. I don't ask him to do something I like to do. I if I see him on the trampoline, I just go join him. I see him drawing, I ask if I can sit down with him and draw with him. You know, I blah 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 blah. You you get it. So we believed we were under the old covenant because we were taught mixture of old and new covenants and a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So that old covenant type teaching, do good, get good, do bad, get cursed, um, leavened all of our thinking and led us to believe we're under the old covenant. But only Hebrew people were under the old covenant. The covenant was made between God and natural Israel. Okay, you and I, have never been part of natural Israel. And so the new covenant shift, this is where um, I'm, I'm trying to give you ground to stand on moving forward. So, you know, new covenant teaching is great. I mean, there are guys like Lynn Hiles. Um, there are guys like... Um, I don't know, there's so many amazing New Covenant teachers. 
and and they've changed my life. I mean, Dr. Lynn Hiles really changed my life because he took me from grace into the next thing, into the kingdom, and then helped me shift my eschatology. And I've even met him several times, and he's extremely genuine and nice. Um, he's like a hero to me. So when I met him, it was like meeting a celebrity, and he was like, hey, Jake, what's up, man? Talk to me for an hour. It was amazing. Um, and he's still that way. And big shout out to Dr. Hiles. He's also lost like 90 pounds in the last couple years um, so that he can keep going. He's probably 65, and man, he's still killing it, traveling around teaching and liberating people. But I want to talk about the book of Hebrews real quick. So the book of Hebrews, I learned from Dr. Hiles um, and confirmed this, you know, went and looked at it for myself, which you should always do. That the word Hebrews, when you trace it back, it means the crossers over, you know, and the book of Hebrews harkens back to when Joshua, you know, Moses had died, Joshua's leading the people now, and he leads them from the wilderness across the river, across the Jordan River into the promised land. So they physically crossed over. But the book of Hebrews is about a covenantal crossing over from, you know, from the wilderness to the promised land. So the writer of Hebrews is actually saying, living, perceiving that you live under the old covenant, which is another way of saying you believe you relate to God through do's and don'ts and are blessed and cursed by your obedience to a behavioral code. That's what, that's what that means. You're, that is spiritual wilderness. You are just searching you know, looking for the next thing to obey so you can feel like you're good with God again. And, um, you know, gosh, I would fall asleep confessing my sin because they taught us if you fall asleep with unconfessed sin, you'll go to, you'll wake up in hell if you die during your sleep. I mean, think about telling kids you'll wake up in hell. My God, unbelievable stuff. When you When you're out of it, you can't see it when you're in it. Because the fear makes you stupid, and the fear causes you to not think critically or to critique. Once you're out of fear, this is why that grace revelation is so huge. Andrew and Joseph deliver people from mountains of fear. Now, now down the road, there's still fear-based doctrines you got to deal with, even under a grace revelation, because Andrew and Joseph still teach eternal torment in hell, uh, Joseph is obsessed with teaching the rapture. Andrew doesn't believe in the rapture, but he doesn't even touch end times teaching. Um, you still have penal substitution, which is you know that belief that because God couldn't couldn't tolerate or welcome the sin in you, um, he then murdered your brother, his own child Jesus, so that he can then look at you. That doctrine is extremely toxic, but. And so you still have to deal with those things even after you move into like an Andrew Womack or Joseph Prince grace revelation down the road, if you care. There's lots of people, I mean, Andrew himself, you know, he's kind of been at the same spot for 50 years, and he's still bringing lots of people into increased freedom. But there are a lot of stuff, there's a lot of big doctrines that he just won't touch. And I don't know, maybe he's just decided he's not going to dig into those. I don't know. Um, when you have a ministry as big as that, if you shift on a on a a major doctrine, uh, you're probably really risking losing a lot of partners, uh, you know, and you got a lot of stuff to pay for. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Same thing with Joseph. If Joseph changed his eschatology, 
oh my gosh, I mean, who knows what his ministry needs every month? And this is not me criticizing these guys. This is actually me trying to empathize what it would be like to have a ministry that big. I think it locks you up and makes it so you can't keep studying because the ministry is built on a certain revelation. So if you shift it, uh, you know, you lose people. The one guy I'll give props that he shifted on a few things is Creflo Dollar because he took a big risk. You know, when he got a grace revelation, he stood up and he brought a bunch of his old teachings on stage and he just threw them in a trash can and he said, hey, look, I'm really sorry. I was wrong here. I believed I was right, but now I know I was off. And he recently did the same thing with the tithe teaching. And man, he is really, uh, in some ways, he's walking the walk of the talky talks, which is to live by faith. It takes a lot of faith for these leaders of these huge ministries to publicly shift on any doctrine because they will lose people. On a grand scale. The same thing happens with your local Baptist preacher who's on a one-year contract. I actually know a guy in Ashland, Kentucky that I know. He's on a one-year contract, and they renew it every July if they want him to stay. The guy's got a family and a wife, can never rest in his mind, and he can never go study anything or learn anything new and then preach it because they'll he'll lose his job. I mean, what are we doing? So you believe... You have to believe you're under the Old Covenant to shift into the New Covenant. So the book of Hebrews is about Hebrews, Jewish people, crossing over covenantally from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And the book is written to help them understand how to operate in this New Covenant. It was written in A.D. 65 to 67, which was three to five years before their Old Covenant temple was going to be destroyed by the Romans. This is the important part about shifting your eschatology. You know all those prophecies that Jesus gives that seem really doomish? They are doomish. He, in some ways, he was a Jewish prophet of doom because he was warning them, look guys, within a generation, he said in AD 30, a biblical generation is 40 years. So he's saying before in AD 70 or before, this temple is coming down. Every stone is going to come down. They'll be stacked on another. Not one stone will be left standing. And so the, the disciples even look at him in Matthew 24, 3, and they say, Okay, Jesus, well, what will be the sign of your coming, which is the Greek word parousia, which just means presence, um, and the end of the, and this is the Greek word in this um, in this verse, Matthew 24, 3, please look at it in your Bible. This is the tragedy of the King James and New King. I think the New King James changed it. But King James says, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the world? Now, that is a very agenda-filled, fear-filled, manipulative translation of the Greek word aeon, which, which literally means a finite age. An age with a beginning and an end. So what they really asked him is Jesus. Remember the context is he's talking about the, the temple that they, per, they performed all the rituals for the law of Moses, the old covenant rituals. And they said, what will be the sign of your presence at the end of the age? Which age? The age of the law, the age of Moses. 
And so then he starts listing all these things. You know, there will be wars and rumors of wars and brothers will be fighting each other and all this stuff. So this is where Josephus comes in. You must read Josephus because he literally chronicles everything that Jesus prophesied happened exactly how he said it was. And it was truly horrific. But Jesus was telling the this is why he was a man born under the law, sent to those under the law. Because he came into that world to tell them, the people in Jerusalem, that this was coming. To flee to the mountains. You know, when they see the city surrounded by armies. Get to the mountains. It's really going to happen. And those that had faith in Jesus left the city. And they did not die when, when the, Rome, the emperor came and crushed the city with the Roman army. They, they lived. And the people who were filled with unbelief who didn't listen to Jesus's warnings they stayed in the city and they perished the city was burned to the ground three million Jewish bodies were thrown in the fires of Gehenna which is the the Greek word um, for that Jesus was saying that in a, in a King James and even in an NIV in so many translations it's translated hell should never have been translated hell uh, Gehenna is a proper place, just like should have been translated the way Gethsemane was, which is just literally. Um, it's a valley right outside the city where they would burn trash 24 hours a day, and they would throw the bodies of criminals you know, that nobody loved, nobody cared about. There would be fires burning 24-7, and the re- you know, even Isaiah said where the worm does not die, they were, the, they were worms there eating flesh. And then when the city was surrounded and the city was destroyed, that's where they were throwing the bodies of the Jews, is in Gehenna. So biblical hell, that's what it was. Uh, That's one version of what it is. You know, hell could be a state of mind. But when Jesus was saying the word Gehenna, which the King James translates hell, which is a huge mistake, um, get yourself, do yourself a favor and get a Young's Literal Translation and you'll realize that the word hell is not in the Bible. There's also like 50 other Bible translations that the word hell is not in. Now, what if your preacher had preached to you from the Young's Literal? Or what if the Bible your parents bought you and asked you to read every year was the Young's Literal? You wouldn't even know of hell. You only know of hell because of translators who wanted that to be in there. So, this book is not even written to you or I. Hebrews is not written to you, but God can meet you in that book and and can hang out with you in the book of Hebrews for multiple years, maybe a lifetime, and speak to you about how great the new covenant is to the old covenant, as long as you still have the belief that you've shifted from old covenant to new covenant, or that you've even been grafted in to the new covenant. Here's the deal. You're only under the new covenant if you believe you need to be. God will treat you as if you're under the new covenant if that's what you perceive you're under. But in the same New Testament is this revelation of Abba, of family. Jesus was simultaneously telling these Jewish people during his ministry about the kingdom and the new covenant that was coming, and he was also revealing that we're all one divine family, calling people the children of God that hadn't met any religious criteria, 
to go from outside the family of God to in the way the gospel is presented to us now, um, where you know you start off at a deficit, separate from God because of you know a man's sin that lived six thousand years ago, one hundred fifty generations ago, and we talked on that in the last episode about sin nature. Um, but I, this is my truth. I no longer believe I'm under the new covenant, but the only reason I'm able to be here is because I believed I was under the new covenant. And I lived those years in that um, dramatically increased freedom and peace and joy from the way I grew up in church, which is believing, even though I didn't articulate it this way, I believed I was under the old covenant, displayed in the fact that I believed I was blessed when I when I behaved well according to the behavioral code presented to me by my preacher and I believed I was cursed or headed to hell when I behaved poorly that is the same that is the the brain the cognition equivalent of believing you are under the old covenant so then when you shift into a new belief that oh my god I get to 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 enjoy the benefits of someone who behaved perfectly on my behalf. This is amazing. And and I don't have to go to hell when I mess up because I'm covered by the behavior of Jesus. So then you so that's what I mean by increased liberation. So this is life-changing for you because it delivers you from fear of the afterlife primarily. And you're standing with God or fear of not being blessed by God. All these fears. So what happens, though, and this is what happened to me, and you're on this podcast, so it's happened to you, and it happens at every stage of revelation, is fear and nervousness come because you know what may happen in your life if you shift on any particular major revelation. Um, is, oh God, what was I saying? Where was I at? I've completely forgotten where I was at. Maybe I wasn't supposed to say it. So, you... Right, okay, the fear. Oh, that's right. I am supposed to say it. So, when you come into a new covenant or a grace revelation, okay, you haven't touched eschatology, hell, sin nature, inerrancy, you haven't touched any of that. Just coming from law to grace, in your perception, you are delivered from so much fear that you know what it does? It stokes the fires of your critical thinking. Okay, this fire has been laying dormant. The coals have been laying dormant, <laughs> uh, just barely smoldering, because you you didn't know it, but you were under so many fear-based doctrines. The main one is that you're you're blessed when you do good, cursed when you do bad. You're going to hell when you do bad. You're going to heaven when you do good. This those that belief has enough fear in it to really permeate all your thoughts about God and totally squelch your critical thinking. So you come to this grace revelation. This is why it's so important, I believe, to start there. This is why God told Andrew his school's going to be a launching pad. And this is why Kaysen gave me a word, this place is a launching pad for you. Because because Andrew's going to deliver people from so much fear that their critical thinking and their brain turns back on, and then they start thinking about all the other doctrines. If I had one issue with Karis Bible College, it would be that they have no tolerance for the people that continue to question. They'll just disassociate. But at the same time, it's not their mission to keep going. Their mission is to bring people from law to grace, and a lot of healing, uh, physic, physical healing happens at that place. And I couldn't be more thankful. 
but it is a launching pad, and that's not a disrespect to them. Uh, Dr. Heil says it this way, um, we, we only have problems when we each believe we're the river and not streams flowing into the river all equally necessary. So without Karis and Andrew Womack Ministries and Joseph Prince, I never could have handled Dr. Lynn Hiles. Absolutely not. And without Dr. Lynn Hiles, I never could have handed, handled Dr. John Noway, who wrote the book uh, Hell Yes, Hell No. Um, or Thomas Thayer, who is who wrote the first book I ever read on hell called The Origin and History of the Doctrine of Endless Torment. I, I still recommend that book to people, but not until they start asking about hell. Because until they ask, their consciousness is not ready, especially for a, a shift that major. So all your critical thinking starts to come back on, and I've never turned it back off. And so I believe we're all a divine family, and I needed to believe I had shifted from Old Covenant to New Covenant in order to move into full family, unconditional love. A covenant is still a legal contract, okay? And, you know, when I deal with my son Harmon, you know, and he asks me for something, he doesn't have to reference, you know, Section 3, subheading C, in our covenant. <laughs> because he's my son. Okay, and it's the same with you. It's the same with my daughter. My daughter's journey in Sailor do not have to, to reference, you know, page 9, paragraph 4 in order to prove that they deserve this or that from me because they're my daughters. So a new covenant revelation is necessary on the journey. But I believe the next thing, it's also a launching pad. If you keep going and keep thinking critically, you're going to see problems even with that. And then you're going to move into Abba, into Abbaology, into a family revelation. And then there's even more beyond that. Um, in, in the last session, I did do a course about a year and a half ago. I need to post the link to that. It's still up. It's six sessions, 30 minutes each, to take you all the way from believing you're under the law into Abbaology in session six. And what I say in session six is that um, you're even going to outgrow Abbaology if you keep going on this journey. But just as uh, a grace revelation is, is necessary to keep going, and then an es eschatology shift, shifting away from rapture and doomsday eschatology into, into it, oh my gosh, that, that was covenantal. That, that ended in AD 70, exactly how Jesus said, that's going to deliver you from even more fear, and, and the fires of your critical thinking are going to be burning even hotter. And then you're going to be like, well, what is this Gehenna place that I learned about when I was shifting my eschatology? And then you go study Gehenna, and then that leads you into a shift on hell and the doctrine of eternal torment. And then you're like, well, what about sin nature? What about inerrancy? What about contradictions? Because your critical thinking is back on and what we've got to see, I'm getting pumped up. What we've got to see is that that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants. He's a liberator by nature. Okay, he wants you to think critically. He wants you to. The thing about it is if we keep going, you will need faith. Because it takes faith 
every shift of this theology until you get to a certain point where you're more into your journey than you are church. And that's the point where you're like, do I need that anymore? Now, you may not be at that point, and that is great. I'm not here to impose on you to not do that. But my wife and I did grow out of it, and we were leading a church, and we were like, what are we going to do? Um, because it begins to feel confining, uh, because the, the, the expanse in front of you that you see spiritually is, is bigger than, than weekly gathering church. And maybe it's because of the model of weekly gathering church. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but the very nature of a church is you have to figure out what to teach to a big group of people. You're not just teaching to those on the front edge, those that are really asking and digging. You're, you're teaching to those that aren't asking and digging at all, and you're trying to figure something out that will reach them. So it's really tough on uh, preachers and church employees that are growing. Um, you know, I, uh, anyway, it's time to stop. I feel it. These podcasts are a little bit longer than when I was doing them two years ago, and I hope that's okay. Um, God bless you guys. I'll see you next episode.